0: day, folks, it's Men Kong of the Pre-Hospital Retrieval Medicine Podcast Welcome back to the farm, broadcasting from outback town of Mount Isa, where I work So today is a podcast called Needle vs. Knife The view from the bottom of Mount Stunning Truger And that's just a friendly joke to a, a long-standing comrade of uh, the show on Twitter Dr. Seth Truger from Chicago, who was at Aware blog and Twitter name and it's a bit of a play on his name to refer to a well-known uh, educational principle called the Dunning-Kruger effect which has been talked on social media and FOMED for a while um, and to be honest I'm a little bit bored with the concept or a bit over it in fact I think that uh, Dunning-Kruger is a uh, this idea, this concept that um, as you're learning how to do something, and medicine is is I guess what we're talking about here that uh, there'll be levels of your learning where you'll feel that you are reached a certain level of competence but you may in fact still not be competent, so it's this term called unconscious incompetence or not knowing what you don't know which is considered to be dangerous and um, reckless And to be honest, I think it's just educational jargon used to, you know, really um, bully or shame people uh, trying to learn and practice the profession. Um, I think that uh, it's, I I think certainly it describes a reality that people do go through learning stages. um, And sometimes, you know, they'll make mistakes, but, you know, that's, that's life, that's being human. Not quite sure what the, you know, the, the the value of giving it a name and saying that it's somehow uh, something to be ashamed of, and uh, and I think um, it relates to this issue which I wanted to discuss, which um, uh, I was aware of recently, talking about a couple of cases in the outback in outback medicine that that kind of touched upon this area of how does someone a doctor for example, how do they uh, gain competence in something that may only happen once in their career? So a one a one in a career event, uh, and the typical ones discussed on foam are things like the cannot intubate, cannot oxygenate situation requiring a surgical airway, the um, thoracotomy for a, a chest stabbing causing a cardiac injury and pericardial tamponade, and these these sound like um, you know uh, rare things but uh, recently there has been a couple of cases which I will uh, mention in general uh, rather than specific details but they occurred in the outback and they were handled by rural doctors and so just just, I guess for the rural uh, providers out there that just to hear about the story and what we may learn from it because really when talking about Dunning-Kruger and so forth and learning how does one actually learn for these rare events that you may never see so a lot of people may never see a stabbing or a a surgical airway situation in their entire career Um, and how you actually prepare for that and actually know that you are ready to do what is needed so that's why I think the principle of this Dunning-Kruger thing doesn't always all that helpful because how does that apply to some event that you may actually never see and certainly, um, the paradigm in medicine is you know you, you do supervised learning that you see things under supervision and then you can ask and learn from your supervisors about how you might do a central line insertion or a point of care ultrasound and so forth and you do that in a in a supervised graded fashion. But some of these events will occur and there will be no supervision because you are the only person there. You are the the, the frontline provider and so Dunning-Kruger doesn't really apply to these situations because these are these are first you know these are the first time ever situations you can read about them, talk about them, look at videos you can mentally rehearse and simulate the situation but in effect they are still first things that you will never actually have to deal with in reality until they actually occur so let me tell you these stories so say in the outback uh, there's a situation where you're um, uh, on duty in the rural hospital, and the ambulance bring in a, a guy who's been stabbed in the left chest with a with a knife. And he's uh, he's looking unwell. He's looking shocked, pale, having trouble breathing, in distress, agitated. Um, and you. Uh, think about whether he's got a tension pneumothorax so you put a needle in to his chest and air comes out and he gets a little bit better but then he deteriorates again Um, so you put a chest strain in and that lets out a bit more air and he gets a bit better but then he deteriorates again and um, because uh, he's deteriorating he's becoming um, more agitated hypotensive you decide just to get the airway um, secured, you intubate him and that's fine, and then after the intubation he deteriorates even further and profoundly shocked, Um, so uh, as a rural doctor you think well what, what else can we do to try to figure out why he's in shock after having decompressed the chest, put a chest drain in, secure the airway, so you do an ultrasound it shows he's got a huge pericardial tamponade from likely an injury to his heart from the knife and now uh, you've called the retrieval team and they're an hour or so away so you're basically watching this guy die in front of you whilst waiting for help in this small outback town so what do you do? well the smart thing to do would be call for advice at least share the blame and so you call say the tertiary hospital and who's going to receive this trauma patient and uh, the advice is well you should do a clamshell thoracotomy so um, you've never done one of them before, you've seen it on videos, you've seen it on you know the, um, YouTube videos and on social media, phone med discussions and blogs a lot of people say that's the best way to handle a stabbing injury um, because it um, uh, allows good access to the heart um, um, and that's the best way to do it but you've never done one and you're here by yourself well you're with the nurse and um, yourself um, patient is intubated at least and they're having um, some some uh, general anesthesia but uh, you've never done this before and you're not quite sure exactly if there's all the necessary equipment to do it but you have you know read and heard some of the podcasts and so forth about how to do it. So you have a rough idea. Do you actually do it? And anyway, I put this on a Twitter poll recently and uh, after about, I think, 150, 180 replies, 70% of people said they'd be able to do it, the thoracotomy, and 30% of people, (coughs) excuse me, honestly, I think, um, quite confessed that they didn't feel that they, at this point in their career, would be ready to do it. And I think that's the dilemma, isn't it? So this whole Dunning-Kruger thing about unconscious incompetence I think goes out the window, I mean, because guy's dying in front of you. Whether you think you're competent or not, you're the only person there. The patient will die, likely, if you don't do it, and maybe they'll die even if you do it. So do you do it? So anyway, let's get back to this story. The, the rural uh, doctor there... Uh, didn't feel that they were competent to do a thoracotomy even though it was described over the phone, and you could look up various YouTube videos before you try to do it and so forth, but they didn't feel that they were, at that point in time, right or ready to do it. But what they were ready to do was, because they were skilled in using the ultrasound, and they had a central line kit, under ultrasound guidance they placed a central line catheter into the pericardial um, sac and they uh, evacuated they aspirated 100 mils of fresh blood patient dramatically improved uh, and they had the, left the catheter in and put a, a uh, three-way <coughs> three-way tap on the end of it and and, um, and um, secured it and uh, anyway, the patient uh, retrieval team arrived. Patient was taken back to the hospital. Made a good recovery. Didn't require um, a clamshell thoracotomy for transfer, and and uh, made an excellent recovery. So what can we learn from that? And this is the whole needle versus knife thing, which I wanted to bring up. Um, well, we can learn from that. One is that uh, it worked. Um, some of this dogma that we have floating around online, foam, to say that needle paracentesis doesn't work, just needs to be reconsidered because uh, needle paracentesis is, is actually previously was taught in ATLS as a temporizing measure, <coughs> and some people forget that needle um, techniques like this are temporary measures. So a needle thoracentesis for pneumothorax is a temporary measure a needle pericardiocentesis for pericardial tamponade is a temporary measure it's not definitive it just tries to buy you a bit of time so that more help can arrive you can get more support or you can get the patient to a surgical team that can do the procedure definitively so just remember one thing it's, it's, it's a temporizing thing okay uh, two is that um, if it's uh, an acute injury and uh, the bleeding is fresh uh, that the blood in the pericardial sac is still fluid and it's still uh, liquid and it can be aspirated through a needle and that's certainly what happened here and actually uh, in ultrasound you can actually even see that so we know that in ultrasound we can see, we can tell the difference between old clot or fibrinous or you know a thick clot versus fresh blood that's liquid. You can quite clearly see, and that's yeah. You know, I mean, that's how we, you know, um, can see. You know, doing DVT scans, you can see old clot or clot that's not going to be liquid because um, it's non-compressible and you, it's much more hyper-echogenic than um, fresh blood. So that can help you. And then finally, uh, what what the situation is? What would you have to lose. If the patient is dying in front of you, you're being told to do a thoracotomy, you could try this as an initial temporising step. If it works, great. If it doesn't, then I guess you're going to have to make that decision about going ahead and doing the thoracotomy. Um, but I don't think you've lost anything in doing that. So um, so, so, so that was a great save, and, and I think kudos to a, a rural doctor for, for doing that, for basically saying, so well, I can do this, I'm going to give it a go, and I had the courage to do it um, rather than doing something which uh, may or may not have worked because they'd never done before, you know, putting an ultrasound guided central line into someone or something they had done before, at least they could be familiar with that, and it worked. So good for them. Um, That's the first case. The second case of needle versus knife in uh, a rural doctor. It's got someone who's come in with, say, Ludwig's angina, severe airway obstruction. Uh, a retrieval team called, come and, and arrive, and they want to secure the airway prior to air transfer. So they do an RSI with uh, double setup. so attempted oral intubation, and the rural doctor is um, set up to do an emergency surgical airway as plan B. Um, and it all goes badly. So, they can't intubate orally, they so cannot intubate, cannot oxygenate, the bag valve mask, LMA is not working. So, the rural doctor proceeds with um, what's, I guess, considered now a standard surgical airway rescue technique, which is scalpel uh, with a bougie and a 6O um, tracheal tube. So, they cut down um, lots of bleeding feel that they can uh, feel the crocothyroid membrane but uh, due to the aggressive bleeding um, and they had some difficulty trying to open up the membrane and pass the bougie and quickly realize they they're not going to be able to do it because person now is peri-arrest so they um, decide to change plan and um, they grab a needle cricothyroidotomy set, which they had already prepared before, as another backup, Um, 14-gauge needle, and they put that through the membrane, Uh, and in, I think, the setup, they had a 3mm syringe um, uh, with a uh, uh, 15mm tracheal tube adapter on the end, they quickly connect that up and are able to actually oxygenate the patient through the 14-gauge needle with the SATs start coming back up and then they proceed with further um, surgical um sorry further um, intervention and the airway is eventually secured patient does well so another needle versus knife and this idea that the scalpel bougie can fail is actually not um not a rarity It certainly has been described in a number of things. Uh, The Airway Collaboration website with the Airway app have documented uh, cases of failure of the scalpel bougie, but also failure of other things such as cannula and wire-guided crocothyroidomy. So nothing's perfect, but what was elegant here was the the decision-making into quickly realising that one technique was failing, and rather than persisting with that, was to switch to another technique but interestingly for both techniques this was the first time in a real patient in a real crisis that the rural doctor was actually applying it. So this was um, Dunning-Kruger out the window, this was trying to deal with the situation and using two techniques on a real patient in crisis and quickly switching between the techniques and at least making one of them work um, successfully in the end which I I, I applaud, I mean, certainly uh, a lot of people might have continued to try doing the surgical airway, and uh, who knows what might have worked, might have failed, the patient might be dead, but uh, that doctor decided to quickly try something um, else, and some people may criticise that that was an error, but I think the reality is it worked and it showed that uh, the needle crike certainly was able to rescue oxygenate the patient and the patient did well so w- what's my point here? my point here is that um, just because for these rare events that you may never encounter you hear a lot of people saying it should be done this way and that way but the problem with these rare events is that the evidence base doesn't really give us enough to say what's good or bad so in light of that, you may well consider that you, you should have uh, at least the knowledge and and practice some of the skills in simulated settings to do a couple of different approaches to the same problem, needle or knife. And uh, certainly th- this is not a new thing. Dr. Andy heard in his original description of the cannot intubate, cannot oxygenate, Uh, algorithm that he published did say that needle and knife techniques should be complementary they should be part of the skill set that you flow from one to the other and it was only in recent times with through you know the online FOMED teachings and debates and comments that people have started to become a little bit black and white dogmatic saying you know you should only do scalpel bougie technique you should only do uh, you should forget about needle techniques and, and, and I think certainly th- these cases that come up that uh, get uh, you know flagged um, uh, get flagged uh, certainly to me um, make me reflect upon the fact that uh, for these rare events where you are not regularly doing these emergency rescues that having a couple of approaches uh, that you practice the flow in between, you know, that, that, that to me seems to be a more resilient um, strategy rather than saying it's only done this way, um, you've got to do it that way until it works. And so, I think for the needle versus knife thing, you need to, you know, there's just something I thought um, certainly rural doctors' experiences out there, it's good to share these things because we are out in the outback and um, help is a long way from from a lot of these places and you do need to consider how you handle these rare events because they will keep happening. Um, Certainly in pre-hospital era medical, we uh, have have had a number of cases over the years of failed surgical airways and so forth um, and cardiac injuries as well. Um, So you do need to be aware that um, uh, having a couple of options about how you're going to handle these situations might actually be better for your specific situation. So, yeah, sure, if you're in a tertiary hospital, a stabbing victim comes in, peri-arrest or, you know, quite unwell, then, yeah, you, 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 it's quite reasonable to consider, let's just go ahead and do the thoracotomy because, you know, you have surgeons who are going to come down soon, you have an operating suite, blood bank and so forth, team of people to help you. Um, but in a small rural hospital where you have none of those things um then having another option like the needle pericardis and to me doesn't seem like such a bad idea and in that one case certainly saved the person's life um and so Dunning-Kruger thing uh, you know not so helpful I think you need to be a little bit smarter about things realize that you will come across situations where by definition you will be incompetent because you've never done it before I guess is my point point. Um, and rather than you know shrivel up and you know cower in the corner in a fetal position and saying well what do we do now we just call for help and wait for someone to turn up you, you need to be prepared for that in that you need to admit you need to you know say that look, I've, I, when I have to do this it will be for the first time but the knowledge the simulated practice, the ability to work through a plan and flow through the um, uh, uh, primary and secondary and tertiary plans of that situation—that shouldn't stop you, because you can prepare for that mentally all beforehand. Um, so anyway, that's that's what I thought we'd share, and uh, hope you got a little bit out of that. But um, yeah, no offence to my good friend Seth Truger um, about. Uh, kind of using the term Mount Stunning Truger versus Dunning Kruger. Um, I've always enjoyed um, following Seth and uh, he's put out a nice little podcast on social media which I've put up on my farm blog site as well so check that out. So till next time, bye bye.